Have you ever had to wait on a response? Or maybe you've had to wait on really important news. I remember when my wife and I were moving to Houston, uh, we found out kind of a few months before we moved. So I started applying for jobs and, you know, looking for work as my wife was in school. And nothing seemed to be working out. Nothing seemed to be uh, happening. And this happened for months and months. I'm sure many of you can understand what that feels like. And eventually a church was looking for a youth minister and I applied and we went through the whole process and answered questionnaires and met with people and met with other groups of people. And eventually it came down for the call. And y'all might know this call, right? Everything else has been taken care of and you know that this next phone call is going to be a yes or a no. So I I pick up the phone and we make polite chit chat like you're supposed to do and there was this, this silence. And I knew, and he knew, that what was next was we were getting to the, the breaking point. And, and moments like this can feel like eternity, right? Because we know that the next thing that we're, we're going to hear is life-changing. And, and that ended up being the church that we worked with for a number of years. But we might have experienced something similar. Maybe you've been waiting on an acceptance letter to a certain college, and you get it in the mail, and you're opening it up frantically, and... This moment feels like it's taking forever because you're so excited to see what the news is. Or maybe when you were younger and uh, you were dating that special someone and you you worked up the courage to tell them for the first time, I love you. And then there's this moment of eternity as you wait to hear if they love you back. Or, you know, maybe you've been in a hospital room and the doctors walked in and you're waiting to hear how surgery went or waiting on test results. And right before they speak, time stands still because what he says next could change your life forever. In Mark chapter one, we find a very similar scene, this long pause kind of scene. And what is interesting about this is that the the impact, the repercussions is not only for the people in our story, but affects us today. Because what we learn at the end of this long pause changes our lives forever because we learn who Jesus is. So we're kind of out of order a bit. Um, We're going to be a bit later in Mark. Uh, Next week, Eric's going to talk about the baptism of Jesus and maybe a few other passages. But that's why we're not making plans for 2020. You know, we're kind of doing things on the fly. But it's important to know what has happened in Mark's gospel and what we really know about Jesus. And as Eric talked about last week, uh, John the Baptist makes way for Jesus, the good news of Jesus' kingdom. And then after this, Jesus is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he goes into the wilderness where he's tested by uh, Satan. And then after this, Jesus begins to recruit his followers, saying, I will make you fishers of men. And then uh, right after that, we have this rather incredible story of Jesus healing this man of an unclean spirit in, uh, in the synagogue. And where we are is right after this account. So really where we are, we don't know much about Jesus. Uh, he's still kind of a mystery. We're still figuring out how he's going to interact with people. We're still figuring out what his mission is. And this is what we read starting in verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon And Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother in law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. Do you feel the long pause moment there? It's it's waiting to see what Jesus will do. 
We need to remember that during this time, a fever could be deadly. You know, we don't have the same type of medicine we have today. This family is in a potential moment of crisis. Their future is uncertain. And on top of that, these men have just started following this man who claims that he will make them fishers of men. Yes, Jesus has just done this kind of miraculous thing in the synagogue, but they don't know if Jesus has the ability to heal their mother-in-law or if he's even interested in doing something like that. And when you, when you look at it, you notice that they don't even ask Jesus to heal her. They just simply say, hey, hey Jesus, our, our mother-in-law is, is not well. She's sick. And we have this long pause. There are moments where seconds can feel like hours because really in this moment, in this long pause, the Yes, the disciples are waiting to hear if their mother-in-law will be well, but really they're waiting to see what Jesus is all about. They're waiting to see what kind of man, what kind of savior Jesus is going to be. And this, this is something we all do when we approach faith, right? This is something we, we ask these types of questions. You know, is God going to forgive me? What is God going to do with my past? Is he going to judge me or is he going to accept me? Is God gracious? Is God kind? Is God going to be there for me? Rosaria Butterfield in her book, uh, Openness Unhindered, uh, talks about her conversion to Jesus, her journey of faith. And in that journey, she asks two questions. Who is Jesus and can he be trusted Jesus, our, our mother-in-law is not well, she's sick. Seconds that can feel like hours. Because what's about to happen next can be life-changing. Because what Jesus does next answers Simon and Andrew's questions. It answers our question of who Jesus is. And this is what we read. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Simon and Andrew learn, as we learn from Mark, that Jesus has come to heal the hurting. Jesus has come to personally bring redemption to his creation. That this moment of uncertainty has been transformed by Jesus' healing presence and filled with peace through the redemption of Jesus. In this moment of pause, the disciples and, and us reading it learn what Jesus is all about. And what we learn is that Jesus is a God who is compassionate. That what we need, what we long for, these questions that we ask ourselves, is who Jesus is. And what we see is that this is good news. All of us, the lost, the hopeless, the hurting, what we need is who Jesus is, a compassionate and caring Savior. And this is good news. In Exodus 34, we read some very incredible, beautiful words about who Jesus is, that he is compassionate, he is gracious, that he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we read this in a time where Moses has just asked God to show him his glory. Uh, this is an interesting little story here in Exodus because this is one of the first times God describes himself to his people. And what's the first word that he uses? Compassionate. 
Uh, in this moment, Moses has asked to see God's glory because he's in a moment of need. He uh, is in charge of leading God's people. And if you know of anything about God's people in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and now, he needs a lot of help. He has asked God to show me your way, show me your glory. And God explains to him that his, his majesty, his presence, his might is too much for Moses. That if he was to see God's face, he would not survive. But because God is compassionate and because God is gracious, he tells Moses to, and you might know the story, to hide in the cleft of a rock. And as God passes by, he puts his hand over Moses. And when he passes by, he removes his hand so Moses can see the back of God. This is God's compassion working in Moses' time of need. That what Moses needed was to see God's glory. Uh, this summer, I started working for a company who places chaplains in, uh, or people who provide spiritual care in businesses for employees around the Memphis area. And chaplains in this setting uh, are there, simply there to provide spiritual guidance. They're there to provide a place to listen to and a place to be comforted. Uh, and on one of these weekly visits, I was speaking with a man who was just, he was struggling. Life was tough. Work was really hard. His family was away. And on top of all that, what was weighing on him the most is that he had to take care of his aunt who was going through cancer treatments. And he talked about how he was the one to care for her, how he would wake up every week early, take her to her treatments. And he said it was a lot to take that in. And that a week ago, when we were having this conversation, she just decided she had enough. They were too hard. They were too painful. And she was just tired of it. And he shared with me how he was frustrated because he didn't know what to do. He thought that they were helping her and that they were good, but he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what the right answer was. So we talked for a bit more, and I told him how sorry I was that he was going through this, and told him I would pray for him, and I left for my visit that week. And I come back the next week uh, looking for this gentleman to check back in on, and before I can even find him, he runs up to me and says, I need to thank you. And I asked, well, what happened? What, what's going on? And you could tell he was a totally different person. He was full of joy and peace and energy. And he tells me, not 20 minutes after we had left from our conversation, his aunt had called him and told him, okay, I'm ready to go back to treatments. And I told him, thank God. That is God's compassionate spirit working in your life, being made known where you needed it most. And what is so amazing about God's compassionate spirit is that it's realistic. That this man's life is not magically all better. Life is still hard. Work is still tough. Family's still away. He still takes his mother, his, his aunt, to treatments. But when he needed God's glory to be seen in his life, God's compassion met him there. For all of us now, God's compassion looks like Jesus. He is God's glory, the hope that we need to continue on. And what is amazing is this is made evident when we continue reading what happens after Jesus heals Simon and Andrew's mother-in-law. And we read this, going back to verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. There's this realization about who Jesus is that washes 
over the city. And the entire city shows up at Jesus' doorstep to see him and to be healed. And of, of course this happens, right? Jesus is in the city. They show up because God's compassion and spirit is made flesh in Jesus to bring healing to the world. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Uh, I want you to try to imagine this with me. Right after Jesus heals Simon and Andrew's mother-in-law, I wonder what the reaction was. You know, I, I wonder, did Simon and Andrew just go about their night like nothing happened? No, I don't, I don't think so. Can't you imagine that Jesus would have seen the joy and the celebration that would have happened, the energy that would have changed in this house after Jesus healed their mother-in-law? You know, many of us um, can probably understand that in the Gospels, Jesus is moved by the emotion and the experience of other people. That's what we love about Jesus, is that he, taking on flesh, understands humanity. We see this really well when Lazarus passes away and Lazarus' sisters are, are weeping and mourning for the loss of their brother. And what does Jesus do? He weeps with them. Jesus is moved by the emotion and the experience of his creation. And I can imagine that the same thing happened in this room, that Jesus saw the joy and the peace that came over the household. He saw the glimpse of what his kingdom could look like. Now, I won't make you raise your hand, but I, there's probably a few of us in this room who are over the age of 30. Uh, I'm, I'm creeping up quickly on it. And I want you to think about the heartache and some of the sufferings, the hard times that you have faced by the time you were 30. A lot happens when we're growing up, and I think Jesus was the same way. When he started his ministry, he would have been around that age. Imagine the heartache and the suffering that Jesus would have seen, but now, filled with the Spirit, called beloved by the Father, it is time to get to work, and the entire city has shown up at his doorstep, ready to be healed. When I try to imagine what this looks like and, and the energy of this house, I'm reminded of words found in Jeremiah chapter 31. Is not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. How many of us have been to uh, Disney World or like Universal, somewhere like that? When I think about this entire city coming to the doorstep of Jesus, I, I think about Disney World and those, you know, the crazy long lines that they have that take hours and hours to get through. Uh, I like imagining this scene that they've made, the, the winding barriers to compress the line. Uh, you know, they've probably got those signs every so many feet to tell you how, how long your wait is. You know, you get two hours, one hour, 30 minutes. I wonder if they had those misters, you know, to keep everybody cool while they wait in line. If the disciples, you know, maybe turned into line leaders to keep everyone at ease while they waited to see Jesus. And, you know, that's a, funny, a fun way to imagine this moment, but we can't forget the heaviness of what these people are waiting for. And I think the, the atmosphere might have been more closely related to those families who come all across the world to visit St. Jude those who are waiting for life-changing healing. You know, it might look like a line for Disney World, but what they're waiting for is far greater than a fun ride. What they wait for is relief 
what they are waiting for is comfort from, for scared mothers, peace for ancient, anxious parents. And there Jesus is waiting at the doorstep for the city to see him. And what I love about this, it's, it's now time for Jesus to get to work. Because his heart yearns for creation, just as we long for him. And I love this scene because it's amazing to me that on the first days of Jesus' ministry, it seems like he can't even help himself. The whole city is there to be healed, and he stays late into the night while the sun sets to heal those people. What we learn about Jesus in this moment is that he is a compassionate God who cares for his people. That this physical healing that he is bringing now is just a glimpse of the spiritual forgiveness that we find in Jesus. But I want to encourage us that what we learn about Jesus does not just stop there, but what we learn about Jesus is something that we also learn about ourselves. Uh, Teresa of Avila writes this poem called Christ Has No Body that I think speaks well to this, this moment. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. As followers of Christ, part of our journey of faith is baptism. We get in the same waters that Jesus gets into. We declare that Jesus is Lord. We're then baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe that just like the dove comes down onto Jesus to be the Holy Spirit, we believe the same thing, that when we rise out of the waters of baptism, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit moves us and it guides us just like it did Jesus. And we know that the Spirit lives within us, thrives us to become more compassionate just as Jesus is. The Spirit moves us from our nature more into the nature of Jesus, compassionate hearts, so that we see the world the way in which Jesus saw the world. In John 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he will leave them. He's teaching them, and he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit teaches us how the way of Jesus is meant to form and shape our lives And as we grow in Christ, we learn that sometimes the Spirit convicts us. It it moves us to service because it reminds us of evenings like in Mark 1 when Jesus heals the city. And sometimes this is painful. This is challenging to change and grow because we're moving from our nature into the nature of Christ. The Spirit transforms us to be more compassionate as Jesus was compassionate. But there's a, there's a warning here. There's something that we need to know before we take on the Spirit, and that is that this can sometimes be overwhelming when we take the good news of Jesus seriously. I, I wonder when Jesus was standing at the doorstep, the entire city before him, if he felt overwhelmed. I, I know that I would have. Where do you even begin when you can see this hurting and the pain? It's overwhelming. When we watch the news and we see hatred and division, we start to feel that. When we think about those suffering with addiction and recovery, 
We begin to feel that when we sit and listen to people who face injustice in this world, we begin to feel that. When we listen to stories of loved ones going through crisis and pain and death, we begin to feel that, and that can be overwhelming to take on. It's too much for us sometimes. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, while he is in prison, writes these words that I think add well to our conversation. If we want to be Christians, we must have, the, we must have some share in Christ's large-heartedness. I love that. By acting with responsibility and in freedom when our hour of danger comes. By showing a real sympathy that springs not from fear, but from the liberating and redeeming love of Christ for all who suffer. Mere waiting and looking on is not Christian behavior. We can quickly lose heart when we become more like Christ because we remember the pain and the suffering that we feel in the world. We know that being filled with the Spirit can be overwhelming. It can be this burden, this heavy burden that we carry, a heavy cross that we're called to pick up and follow Jesus. But we remember that Jesus' compassion and Spirit led to a difficult life. It led to rejection, to suffering that dealt with a cross. However, we know and have hope that God cares for us. He knows us. He knows our limits. He knows that when we set ourselves at the doorstep just like Jesus did, that this can be overwhelming. It can be tiring. It can take a toll on us. Because it can be hard to deal with the consequences of sin. It can be draining, but where the Spirit moves us to those places, the Spirit also strengthens us to stay right where we are. To be the compassionate presence that the world needs. Jesus leaves his disciples with further encouragement on what the Spirit is. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Just like Jesus' compassion is unlike any other in this world, just like his mission is unlike any in this world, his peace is unlike any other. The peace that the Spirit gives fills us and it keeps us going. Church, I pray that we embrace the compassion and Spirit of Jesus that dwells within us, that it may move us to serve and love one another. But let us rejoice in the peace that it brings as well. That we remember that the compassion that drove Jesus to the cross is the same compassion that now lives within us and moves us to love the world around us. And we take hope and we celebrate that the healing that Jesus gave at the doorstep for the city but did not end there, but on the cross, that healing is given to all of us. We're about to take communion. We're about to pray over it, and I pray that as we do so, we rejoice in the compassionate spirit of Jesus. That we pray that our eyes are open to the hurts and the sufferings of the world around us. And that as it becomes overwhelming, we lean into the peace that Jesus gives us. If you're watching with us and you haven't been to church or you're not familiar with Jesus, but you've been asking these types of questions of who Jesus is, 
If this has answered some questions, you're now ready to be baptized, to take on the spirit that we are promised when we are saved by the blood of Jesus. Come talk to us. We'd love to speak with you. We have elders and ministers who would love to do that. But right now we move to communion where we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's bow. Father, we love you. We are overwhelmed by your glory that you show us every day. We thank you for your compassion and spirit that heals the world, that brings redemption to all of us. And I pray that you are with us as we have lived a life that asks these types of questions of who you are and we have found ourselves satisfied with the answer. That you are a God who's compassionate, loving, and forgiving. That right now as we take the bread and the cup that we are filled by your love as a family here together. In Jesus' name, amen.